What's up? Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Thursday, June 4th, 2015. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletic Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Uh, it is a violent gentleman Thursday to a certain extent. Every Thursday is presented by Violent Gentlemen. Make sure you go to violentgentlemen.com right now to get some of the hottest gear on the sports scene. It is the clothing line um, of George Peros, former NHL player, former NHL enforcer. And what we do every Thursday with Violent Gentlemen is we usually have a segment with a guest presented by Violent Gentlemen. However, we did that Violent Gentlemen segment on Tuesday of this week. We did it with Brian Boyle, forward for the Tampa Bay Lightning, just a day before the Stanley Cup final began. So make sure you go back and listen to that segment. Still do it. He said a lot of good things uh, about the Lightning's playoff run going in to last night's Game 1 of the Stanley Cup final, in which the Lightning lost 2-1 to to the Blackhawks in Tampa Bay. I'll talk more about that game on this show um, but make sure you also go back and listen to that Violent Gentleman segment with Brian Boyle, which was on Tuesday's show. You can listen at dannypicard.com, also on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and wherever you can get a podcast out there, this show is available. Now, <laughs> you know, I come into this show right now. I'm going to tell you. I wasn't going to tell you as we just fired this thing up again. Um, I'm here five days a week. But you should know that this, as you listen to this right now, know that this is the second time today I'm recording this podcast. Why? Uh, Because we had some technical difficulties earlier that we didn't really know we were having. I did a whole show earlier, an hour-long podcast this morning, earlier this morning, that we thought was recording. You know, it's, it's, and it wasn't even a rookie mistake it was a technology issue. Uh, apparently, the program re- we used, the program we used, quit on us in the middle of the recording. Really, a couple minutes in to the hour podcast, and we didn't know until after the fact. And it's the first time that's happened. Uh, we're just going to take it as a technology situation, and really just something that uh, was a fluke error, and that won't happen again. But know this, that I already recorded Thursday's podcast. You just can't hear it. You're now hearing the second version. I'm not going to lie, I liked the first version. So I'm sitting there going to try to give that to you again, uh, and I'm going to do my best because, you know, the longer this day goes on, the, the closer we get till tonight, the more excited I do become about the NBA Finals. NBA Finals begin tonight. Finally, right? Finally, the NBA Finals begin, and earlier today when I did the podcast, the Cavaliers tonight in Game 1 in Golden State, they were six-point underdogs. Now, it's five and a half. Um, I will say this. My prediction for the series is, is not new. You've heard it. We've had over a week to dissect this thing, and I've already given you my pick. But if you haven't heard it yet, and maybe this is the first time this week y'all listening to the show then you should know that I'm picking the Cleveland Cavaliers to win the NBA Finals. Um, and, and my biggest reason for that, and I'll give my X Factor in a second, right? My biggest reason for picking the Cavaliers is because I just can't bet against LeBron James. I can't. And let me kick my feet up on the table here because I need to relax. It's one of those days. You know, when, 
and, and I know I'm going off topic from the NBA Finals, but um, when you, like last night, WEI, I'm on there. And, you know, sometimes that time slot is tough until midnight because you don't get the calls that you do usually earlier in the day. Uh, and sometimes you find yourself talking to yourself for way too long in a single day. Like when I do the podcast, and now luckily for me yesterday, Rear Admiral from Boston Sports was in studio with me, so I didn't have to talk to myself. Um, and But last night, you know, I, we didn't get that many calls. I was on like 9.30 to midnight. There weren't that many calls. There was some calls earlier in the show. Later in the show, you get to the point where you're 11.30, you're saying, all right, I don't, you know, I don't even know if there's anyone on the East Coast who's up listening right now. Um, but... Bottom line is, you come back here in the morning, you record a podcast, and an hour long, and then you find out it doesn't get recorded. It it it's, you know, it's sort of driving me crazy. I got to do this again, and and when I do this show, I wonder to myself, well, I don't ever want to really repeat myself too often, because I'm on all these different platforms, and I get the radio some nights and during the weekend, and I get this show every morning. Sometimes I do TV. You know, I, I try my best. You know, sometimes you're going to repeat yourself. It's just it's just the way it works. But I try not to have that happen too often. And now when I sit here and have to do this podcast over again, I find myself looking at my little uh, cheat sheet here with my bullet points. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what have I already said and what have I not already said? So what I'm going to do is just going to give it to you. I'm just doing this over again. You know, there's, there's really no script. This is, um, I, I break down every single day. I react to what happened the night before. And it doesn't always have to do with Boston teams. And I always will preview the big stories. I'll look ahead to the big stories. I will close out this show today with two stories that um, – I think it's very entertaining as to what the backstories to these stories are. One's sort of a sports story, the other is not at all. But there are definitely two things that I want to touch upon. Which, again, I already did touch upon it, but you can't fucking hear it because it didn't record. You know, I don't know if you can really understand the feeling I have. It's a tough feeling to try to describe, knowing that I just talked to myself for an hour and nobody heard it but me. (laughs) You know? You start to drive yourself crazy. Not as crazy as Deflategate got me, but I think all of it combined, um, it's this little room that I'm in, which is now, since we're doing it in the afternoon, it's getting warmer in Boston. It's turning into a fucking sweat box in here. It's 200 degrees. It's like a solarium. So now I'm sweating, right? Now I'm frustrated. I'm annoyed. I'm sweating. But again, I am excited because the NBA Finals begin tonight. And I'll tell you this. I can't bet against LeBron James. I can't do it. I can't do it. I, if you ask me, give me a roster to win you a regular season or the best to give me the best record in the regular season or to be number one in your conference, whose roster would you take, Cleveland's or Golden State's? I'd say no question. I'd take Golden State's. I would. But if you're asking me in a playoff series, who am I going to take, Golden State's roster or LeBron James? I mean, I look up and down the NBA, and I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know that I see a team I would pick over LeBron James. I don't. I really don't. I I guess that team would come in the West. And if that team came from the West, here's what I tell you. 
I tell you, if Oklahoma City had Kevin Dur- a healthy Kevin Durant, you would get me, and they were playing Cleveland, that's where I think maybe I'd have a more serious conversation right now with you about beating LeBron James. Um, I, I get how good Steph Curry is. You don't need to tell me. I mean, if you listen to me, you know how good I, I think Steph Curry is. You know, when people say he's the best shooter of all time, I don't laugh at that. I don't roll my eyes at that comment. Steph Curry is must-see TV. I've been telling you that all season long. All season, he's must-see TV. But, you know, now he... And, and look, Steph Curry's playing better basketball in the playoffs than, than he was playing in the regular season. And it's tough to play better basketball than he was playing in the regular season. It's almost impossible to play better basketball than Steph Curry was playing in the regular season. But guess what? He is in the postseason. That said... Even with Klay Thompson cleared to play game one, he had the concussion issues at the end of the Western Conference Finals. Even with Golden State's depth, you know, I would take their depth in a regular season game over Cleveland's depth any day of the week. But in a playoff series in which you have to win four games, there is nobody in the, honestly, in the history of the league that I think I would rather have than LeBron James. Now, LeBron gets hated on especially here in this town because we've seen him so many times. And even anybody who who follows or is a fan of the NBA, you you hear some things LeBron says and you don't like them. Fine. And on top of that, what do we do in in this world? We hate on the best. We do. Unless he is on your team in your city, we hate on the best. That's what we do. That comes with the territory of being the best. You're hated on. Now, LeBron does himself zero favors with some of the things that come out of his mouth. But if you can put those things aside and you can just focus on his ability on the court to take over a game and not be stopped when he doesn't want to be stopped, then there is no way you should be picking against him in this series. Even as good as Steph Curry is. As good of a shooter as Steph Curry might be in the history of the league. You shouldn't pick against LeBron James in this series. And on top of that, I do have an X-Factor in this. I do have an X-Factor. And it's Tristan Thompson. Big man on the boards for Cleveland. We saw him in the series against the Celtics. Um, He is playing like a monster when it comes to rebounding the basketball. And especially, you see him giving his team second chance points, second chance opportunities, second chances, if that's what you want to call them. Tristan Thompson's your guy. The offensive rebounds this guy grabs. Uh, You know, you would have thought that the Cavaliers losing Kevin Love, knowing how good of an encore talent he is, knowing what it does for their offense and LeBron James by spreading out the floor, that combined with losing Kyrie Irving for a couple games, that maybe they would have struggled. They didn't. And it's not just because LeBron LeBron James can take over a game. It's also because a kid like Tristan Thompson is, you know, one of these guys that that I think has really come into his own here in these playoffs. And I say that, I say that only thinking of the job he's done on the glass. Honestly, the job that Tristan Thompson has done on the glass uh, throughout these playoffs, you know, this is the guy that's going to give you 30 minutes a game. Um... Uh, he's going to give you double digits in boards. 
I mean, he, and obviously, you we've seen him put up uh, double digits in scoring in the same game. So I really like Tristan Thompson, and I like the role that he could play in this series. I like the role he's played throughout the entire playoffs. You add him into the equation, uh, and you you get some some games out of Kyrie Irving from everything that I expect, and I think the Cavaliers expect Irving's going to play. And when he is playing, I actually think he's an underrated scorer. I do. Even when the Cavaliers played against the Celtics, you know, it was I think it was game one. Kyrie Irving had the, you know, just, it was his game. It was the Kyrie Irving show. But, it, you know, I still think with all that said, and even though we know he's an all-star, I think he's an underrated, I still think that he's an underrated scorer. He can take over a game. So, and that's not to say that Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, those guys can't take, the Splash Brothers, it's not to say that they can't take over a game, because they can. But I would just take, I, 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 there's no way I'm, I would take anyone over LeBron James in the playoffs. I wouldn't. Now, and that's, that, that's me being one of the biggest Steph Curry fans going. I just can't bet against LeBron. I can't. There's just too many times where I see maybe Cleveland should lose, and they don't because LeBron James can't be stopped, right? There's just too many times that I've seen that. Whether you like him or you don't, I think you have to acknowledge it. And let's also not avoid the fact that LeBron James is going to his fifth straight NBA final. Fifth straight NBA final. I mean, do people, has that gotten through to people yet? How, how big of an accomplishment that is. And, and, you know, I saw some stupid fucking stat earlier that said, well, if LeBron loses to Golden State, then LeBron will be 2-4 and four in the NBA Finals. And, of course, that adds up to 6. Even though this is LeBron's fifth straight NBA Finals, he, if you can recall, he went to another one early in his career when he was with the Cavaliers when he first came in and they got their asses kicked by the Spurs in that NBA final, in the NBA finals, right? So somebody tweeted out a stat, if LeBron loses this NBA finals to the Golden State, LeBron will be 2-4 and four in the NBA finals. And that Michael Jordan was 6-0. and oh. um, I mean, I, I, I think that's laughable because it, you know, you look at LeBron, the team that he took to the finals the first time, was, I mean, honestly, think about that team. That was the LeBron James show. What is this Cleveland team? The LeBron James show, all right? LeBron James, it is no, it's not like these teams are taking LeBron James to the finals. LeBron James is taking these teams on his back to the finals. And while Michael Jordan was a dominant player, I've, look, do I need to really sit here? See, there's the problem. We go into these comparisons. And then, then you get someone that's on TV trying to explain to us just how good Michael Jordan was. Listen, buddy, save your, save your breath. I fucking know how good Michael Jordan was. Everybody knows. And I'm not going to sit here and try to, you know, relay the message to you as to how good Michael Jordan was. You know how good Michael Jordan was. He's one of the greatest of all time, right? You know, him, I mean, this, you know, uh, Magic Johnson, um... Larry Bird, we got, and I throw Larry Bird in there. Yes, I throw Larry Bird in there. Uh, Kobe Bryant, 
I mean, look, we can go on and on and point out these guys' stats and their numbers in the finals and the championships. Here's the deal. Do you think LeBron James is not done? This isn't like the last finals he goes to. In fact, I think he's going to go to the finals next year. I think he'll go to the finals the year after that. When is this guy going to slow down? Is he going to show you signs? He hasn't shown me any. And then I hear people say, well, he takes this Cavaliers team to the finals because he's in the East. What? And and I get that LeBron, Cleveland, 53 wins this season. All right, that would would mean that they would have finished fourth in the West. For people who are pointing that out to me, they're trying to tell me that the Memphis Grizzlies would have beaten the Cleveland Cavaliers in the first round. I mean... Are you serious? That's There's no way. There's absolutely no way that would happen. And then, of course, you would have to play Golden State in the second round. Now, look, I'm telling you, Cleveland's going to win the series. So they might they might have beat Golden State in the second round. Who knows? And then you would have looked at Cleveland-Houston. You mean that Cleveland wouldn't beat Houston? Uh, you know, who would Cleveland lose to? Somebody would have to point that out to me. And I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, the only team that I could see that I would think of picking over LeBron James right now would be if Kevin Durant was healthy and his team was in the finals against Cleveland. Honestly. Honestly. That's that's where I would go with that. Uh, if Kevin Durant was playing. But right now, I just can't pick against LeBron, and I won't pick Golden State. I love Golden State. I love watching them. I think Steph Curry, you know, I think he put himself in the conversation where if you line them up against the wall and you had to pick one guy to win you a game, Steph Curry or LeBron, I, I think he put himself in that conversation where he's an option. you got to think about that. But in a seven-game series, if, if, if you give me that option and LeBron James is on that wall, I'd be, I'm telling you, and you didn't pick him, you'd be kicking yourself. So... I guess that's the way I ultimately look at everything that's going on right now in the NBA Finals. But finally, the NBA Finals will begin. I mean, it's just, you know, how much longer do we have to wait? They should have began on Sunday. We should be talking about Game 3. They should have went Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday. Tonight should be Game 3 of the NBA Finals. And guess what? They're going to hit you a Game 1 tonight, and then they're going to make you wait till Sunday. <laughs> For game two. I mean, holy shit. You know, they're really going to draw this thing out. And for those wondering, it is a 2-2-1-1-1, which means Golden State will have game five in Golden State. So it'll be two in Golden State, two in Cleveland for the first four, two in Golden State, two in Cleveland, and then one in game five in Golden State, game six in Cleveland, and game seven back in Golden State. That's what they're going to do. And my prediction for the series is that they split Golden State and Cleveland, each win one in each other's towns, in each other's buildings in the first four. And the series is even a two going to Golden State for game five. And Cleveland wins that. They find a way to win that game because they already know they can win one in Golden State. When they do it, whether it's game one or game two, I can't tell you. I tell you to stay away from that plus five and a half tonight. I tell you to just stay away from the spread tonight, game one. That's what I'll tell you. I don't. I I let game one play out before you figure out how you're going to bet this series. That would be my my gambling advice for you. Um, stay away. 
so I don't have a lock. Lock is don't bet. That's my lock. My lock is there's no lock. Um, but I think it's going to be tied to two, go to game five. Cleveland knows they can win there. They win game five in Golden State. They lead three to two. You get game six back in Cleveland. And when you get that game six back in Cleveland, there is no fucking way that LeBron James is going back to Golden State. There's not. Uh, I, I think that's the way it's going to play out. Cleveland wins this one in six. And then the people that keep wanting to point out to me that LeBron James would have been two and four if he lost. Instead, he'll be three and three in the NBA Finals. And if you think this is going to be his last NBA Finals, you got another thing coming. Because, again, they lost Kevin Love. They were playing some games uh, without Kyrie Irving. And honestly, it's not like they were playing schmucks. I mean, as the Atlanta Hawks had 60 wins um, in the regular season, right? 60 wins. Uh, they played a Chicago Bulls team that had Derrick Rose. Right? Uh, now, the Celtics series might have been the gimme farm. Might have been the layup. They swept the Celtics, but look, they, they did what they had to do. They took care of the team. They should have taken care of easy, in an easy fashion, in a clean sweep. And then they beat the Bulls in six. And then they swept. They swept the Atlanta Hawks. You know, again, last time I checked, the Atlanta Hawks, when you look at the NBA standings, had the second most wins in the NBA this season. Had the most wins in the Eastern Conference. And they took care of them in four games. And they did it without Kevin Love. And they did it in which Kyrie Irving wasn't completely healthy. So, I mean, what else does, you know, LeBron James... I don't know what he has to do to prove to people that he's taking these teams on his back with certainly not the same type of uh, help that some of these other guys had when they were making their finals runs. Honestly, when do we start realizing that? Maybe we realize it when Kevin Love leaves town. Um, Maybe we realize it when, you know, LeBron James doesn't just win this year when he wins it next year and the year after that. And I don't want to hear the whole Western Conference deal that, oh, he's taking, he's taking advantage of a soft East. Well, wait. The Bulls, last time I checked, were, were dangerous. Um, the Wizards, even though they didn't play each other, I thought that was a very dangerous team this, this year. And the Hawks had 60 wins. So, if you ask me in the West, you know, New Orleans, we would you have been... You think Cleveland wouldn't have beat them? Dallas. They were old. They're old. They don't know what they're doing. No, there's no way the Mavericks beat the Cavs either. The Spurs, I guess you got to give the Spurs a shot in every series they're in, but I still don't think they would beat. If they couldn't beat the Clippers, they wouldn't beat LeBron James. Grizzlies would not beat LeBron James. The Blazers would not beat LeBron James. The Clippers wouldn't beat LeBron James. The Houston Rockets, you mean to tell me you'd put your money on a Dwight Howard team over LeBron James? Give me a fucking break. You know, Warriors, maybe as close as they come, unless the Thunder was somehow still playing. (laughs) You know, if Kevin Durant was healthy, you know, that would be the spot that I would have to consider because, you know, I'm a Durant guy, and I do think Durant's time is going to come. He's going to get, you know, we're going to be talking about Kevin Durant in the finals 
and it might even be against LeBron. And he might even be a guy that beats LeBron at some point in the finals. But uh, we know it won't happen this, this year. It is Golden State. It is Cleveland. It begins tonight in Golden State. Cleveland's an underdog. I think Cleveland wins this series in six. And LeBron James wins his third NBA championship. So that's, that's your NBA topic for the day as the NBA Finals finally begin tonight. And then they don't resume again until Sunday. Last night, the Stanley Cup final began. Uh, the Blackhawks, as I, you know, they scored two goals in the third period. They trailed this game one nothing. They scored two in the third period. And they scored them in the last seven minutes. And they scored them two minutes apart from each other. And the final one, which turned out to be the game winner, Antoine Vermette, a snipe top right. It might have got a piece of a stick, but not enough to really make that much of a difference. This thing went top right, uh, what almost bought down, and Bishop had no shot. No goalie would have had any shot to save this shot from Vermette. Uh, that's the game right there. That's all you need to know. Uh, Blackhawks win it. They win game one, and now they're going to tease us as well because their game two is not going to happen until Saturday. So we don't even get a hockey game tomorrow night. We, get, we have to wait till Saturday night for that. So they're pulling a little NBA trick on us, making us wait an extra day in between games one and two. Uh, I told you yesterday how I felt about this series. I think the Blackhawks win it. Uh, and, and really, it has to do with some of the same reasoning I have for why, I, I, you know, why I'm picking Cleveland Cavaliers to win the NBA championship is that I cannot put my money against Kane and Taves. I can't do it. And, you know, I'm not the biggest Corey Crawford fan, the goaltender for the Blackhawks. I'm not. I'm not the biggest Corey Crawford fan. But Corey Crawford made some big stops last night, some big saves. Uh, those uh, saves, the type of saves, you know, guy steps in on a breakaway in a big moment, you know, shuts him down. Um, guys wide open from the circle, you know, takes, you know, takes a rocket shot, monster save. Those are the type of saves that you look back on and say, hey, uh, you know, remember that save as you're watching the championship DVD for your team? those are the type of saves Crawford's making that you look back and say, hey, remember these saves in game one that helped the Blackhawks, that gave them extra time to score two goals within two minutes of each other in the third period? Big win for the Blackhawks last night. And on top of it, they go into Tampa and do it. Um, Anytime you can come back like that and win a game in any series is big, never mind in the finals, and also never mind in the finals on the road in game one, to set some type of tone in that one. Now, I tweeted this last night, partly in jest, but at the same time, um, I'm, I'm waiting to see the result. Maybe it's not, because maybe the floodgates will open after this, and every year we'll get a player to come on this show during the Stanley Cup final. The last NHL player to be on this show as a guest during the Stanley Cup final was Jonathan Quick, goaltender for the LA Kings. He did that a couple of years ago when they won the Cup. Um, now, he only went on two shows. Quickie only went on two shows during that time. He went on Jay Leno, and he went on my show. Great stuff, by the way. But this year, on Tuesday, as I mentioned, I had Brian Boyle, who's currently playing in the Stanley Cup Final for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I'm rooting for the Lightning. I'm rooting for Tampa Bay. 
Brian Boyle, local kid, been on this show many times. We'll call him a regular. How's that? We'll call him a regular because he pretty much is every single year. He came on the show many times when he played for the New York Rangers, uh, when they were battling against the Boston Bruins. But he is the second NHL player to come on the show during the Stanley Cup Final. So results to be determined. But let's say they do win the Lightning, and I'm wrong. Look, I'll be happy. I'm rooting for Tampa. But let's say, let's say, uh, you know, but I picked Blackhawks to win it. Let's say I'm wrong. Let's say the Tampa Bay Lightning win. I think that next year's Stanley Cup final team would be crazy not to send someone to the show. <laughs> I'm serious. I think they'd be crazy not to. Anyways, Blackhawks lead the Stanley Cup final. Uh, one game to none. Game two won't be till Saturday. Lineups are in for today's Red Sox game, which is something that I didn't have when I recorded the show for the first time earlier today, and you couldn't hear it. Uh, you know, I didn't have the lineups for the Red Sox earlier today. And um, I got them right here for you. Pedroia will lead, and this is a game against the Minnesota Twins, 405 start. Pedroia leading off. Second base, Hanley Ramirez hitting second in left field. David Ortiz hitting third as the DH. Mike Napoli in the cleanup spot at first. Xander Bogarts back in the fifth spot at short. He was there, what, about a week ago, two weeks ago, and then they took him away from that. Xander Bogarts uh, has been ripping the cover off the ball, so they put him in the five spot at short. Pablo Sandoval hitting sixth at third base. Uh, Mookie Betts hitting seventh again. He was moved to that spot last night in the nightcap of the day-night doubleheader. Betts hitting seventh in center field. Swihart behind the plate with the knuckleballer Stephen Wright in the mound. Swihart behind the plate hitting eighth. And Rusne Castillo hitting ninth. He is in right field. And last night when I was on WEEI, I said this. I said, if you're John Farrell, here's what I want to see out of John Farrell going into this game. And I'm glad he did it. He put out a lineup that I think he probably feels is the best lineup for this team on any given night. You get what I'm saying? Like the go-to lineup. Here's my go-to lineup, right? You know, because managers do things with different pitches on the mound. If it's a lefty, they might switch things up. If it's a day game after a night game, you might give a guy off. If there's a certain pitcher on the mound that... You know, you think he feels more comfortable with a certain catcher behind the plate. You put that catcher in. That might affect the way you handle in the lineup. Um, You know, that stuff changes. What I wanted to see John Farrell do, and I think we're there with this lineup, is I wanted to see him put together a lineup that's his go-to lineup. You know, John Farrell, Johnny, give me a dream scenario lineup for you. Not a dream scenario is maybe a strong phrase. But given the guys that you have on your 25-man roster, give me the lineup, regardless of whether there's a lefty or righty on the mound. Because there's a lefty on the mound today from Minnesota. It's Tommy Malone, who should not be a problem for the Red Sox. He's getting called up from the minor leagues to make this start. In his four starts with the Twins earlier this season, he has an ERA, I believe, close to five. Not 2-5, but maybe close to five. So Tommy Malone, lefty, shouldn't matter. You should uh, be ripping the tits off the ball all game, and you should get this guy out of the game by the fifth inning. Uh, and it's a winnable ball game, even with a knuckleball on the mound on your end. 
And the fact that you're going to put this is me just seeing this lineup right now and giving you a raw reaction because I didn't have this lineup again when I did this show this morning. This is the second time I do, I'm doing the show. Uh, Hanley Ramirez hitting second. Hitting second. Pedroya, Hanley, Ortiz, Napoli, Bogarts, Sandoval, Betts, Swihart, Castillo. And when I read this, I think Castillo hitting ninth, wrapping back around to Pedroia. See, I w- Pedroia, it's awfully tough to pull him out of the leadoff spot because of because he's been hot as a pistol. But I also envision Pedroia hitting in front of somebody who crushes the baseball. And I also see Ortiz hitting behind a right-handed hitter. I don't like to see a lefty. I don't like to see a lefty in front of Ortiz. I don't. I don't like to see that. Um, or even behind him. So that said, when you throw out Pedroia, Mookie Betts, you know I don't feel great about that lineup right away. But what you're gonna do is put Hanley hitting second. I mean, I'm okay with this. I actually like this. Because you could look at it like this and say, Castillo's hitting ninth, right? And when they went out and brought in Rusne Castillo, I looked at Rusne Castillo and I said, it, they make it sound like this guy's going to be the speedy center fielder, outfield type leadoff guy. That's what they make this sound like. Like he's going to be this leadoff guy. Well, I get that when you start the game, he's not the first guy getting up. But, you know, once you get into the game and you get wrap around two, three, four times in the lineup, what do you have? Castillo hitting in front of Pedroia. So, I actually like what's going on right now. Who knows? Maybe at some point you do see a situation in which Rusne Castillo is leading off. And it's Castillo, Pedroia. Maybe then you get Castillo, Pedroia, Ortiz, Hanley, Sandoval, Napoli. Something like that, right? Uh, but I like this lineup today. The Red Sox are going to send out. It's a winnable ball game for them. And if they do win it, that means they take three of four from the Minnesota Twins. The doubleheader yesterday, oh, man. I ranted about it last night. And, um, and you know, the second game was like, it was like the Red Sox didn't even want to be there. That's what it was like. It was like the Red Sox didn't even want to be playing in that game because they already played one, and they were pretty good in that one. And the offense showed up, Ortiz with a couple hits, Hanley with a couple hits, uh, Pedroia, Bogots, they did their job, and then Eddie Rodriguez on the mound, dazzling again. And the people that tried to tell me that I was overreacting to Eddie Rodriguez's first start and the success he had and how excited I was to see that, and I told you it was a breath of fresh air, it's funny because now... You know, a week later, you're seeing uh, baseball, legit, baseball writers that I respect, by the way, use that phrase to describe Eddie Rodriguez. And, uh, you know, I know know it's not like a a random, uncommon phrase, but, you know, it's funny. They're going to use that. The same phrase I've been using for Eddie Rodriguez since the third inning in Texas in his first start last week, a breath of fresh air. Watching him pitch now after two starts, the people who were telling me that pe- people were telling 
people like me that we were overreacting. Oh, Danny, don't put him to Cooperstown just yet. Let's see. Now these same people are using that fucking phrase to describe him. Fuck you. Now, at least now you see. At least now you see how good Eddie Rodriguez is. And maybe if you need those guys to tell you, then go ahead. Go let those guys tell you. But um, I tried to tell you what I saw, how I felt. And you know I'm a pitching guy. And right now what the Red Sox should be doing is they should see Eddie Rodriguez. And by the way, he wants to be called E-Rod. Eddie Rodriguez wants to be called E-Rod. I'm sorry, I can't do it. I can't do it. I mean, what do you? I can't do it. I can't call him Erod. I just, I'm not gonna do it. It's a stupid nickname. It's because when he has to come out and tell us, like when you have to come tell us your nickname. I, first of all, I find that laughable. Two, um, it's kind of, you know, it's not really creative. It's not that creative. You know, anytime we see the guy Rodriguez, we use the Rod. Like we already have an A Rod. And so, maybe try to stay away from that. What's wrong with Eddie? I'm going to keep calling him Eddie. Because I heard the Red Sox bench coach, Tori Lovello, call him Eddie. And if the Red Sox bench coach and people on the team are calling him Eddie, so am I. I will not call him Erod. Are we really going it? Are we really going to do that? I really hope that doesn't stick. I hope. I hope Erod does not stick. But whatever you want to call him, he's going to be out there and he's going to be pitching with his ball club the rest of the season and you know you hope for a long time in his career because he's that good and he's dominant and I think what the Red Sox need to do now is figure out a way to go out and acquire another dominant pitcher I think they do you know why stop at one don't bring one kid up see them dominate see how good the team becomes with that and say well that's it no you need to add more of that you need to add more of that. I am confident this offense will put it together. I am. Uh, but I'm not confident that the pitching staff will hold up and that Buck Colts will continue to pitch the way he's been pitching. I, I'm not. I'm just not confident in that. Porcello looked good last night, but he still scares me. He doesn't have overpowering stuff. Eddie Rodriguez does. Go out and get a guy with overpowering stuff, dominant stuff. My guy, Sonny Gray. Oakland's coming to town this weekend. If you're the Red Sox, you're lucky. You're not going to run into Sonny Gray. He pitched last night. You know what he did? In Detroit, in a win, eight innings, two hits, no runs, one walk, seven strikeouts on 108 pitches. Sonny Gray this season, 25-year-old. He's 7-2 with a 1.65 ERA. He has 73 strikeouts. Um, when you look at the standings in Major League Baseball, I get that Oakland's record isn't that much worse than the Red Sox. It's worse. It's not that much worse. But Oakland is some 12, 12 and a half, 12 and a half games out in the AL West. This season is pretty much done already. The Red Sox season isn't done yet. They're only five games out. So as bad as it's looked, it doesn't look that bad in the standings. But if I'm the Red Sox and I'm Ben Sherrington, Oakland comes to town this weekend. My message to Ben Sherrington has been this for the last couple weeks. Time to get aggressive. Time to get a blockbuster package going and make a move that's going to bring in a stud starting pitcher that's going to be here for a while. Now, Sonny Gray would not be a rental. 
he is arbitration eligible after the season. But that also tells me that he's going to get paid. My question is, is Oakland going to pay him? And at least when you look at the history here, Oakland doesn't always pay everybody. In fact, they would rather not pay. That's what I get from the Oakland A's. I know this is their guy. I get that. But if he's going to get paid, and if a team overwhelms Oakland with the trade with a group of prospects, a group of prospects, doesn't that just seem to be Oakland's strategy? Well, why don't we cash in on one guy? Like, why? It's Oakland's strategy always seems to be, and it's more, look, it's more than a money situation. It's more than that. I'm not saying that's not a factor. It is. But Oakland's strategy is a combination of a money situation with, hey, especially if we're struggling, if we're 12 and a half games out, and we're going to have to give this kid all this money next year, um, that's one guy. Why wouldn't we, save one, save ourselves some money, but also do it by adding three or four guys that, may, that might give us a chance to chance a better chance to win next season as a group. Honestly, that's how Oakland works. And what I know, given the history of what Oakland does and how I think they work, not just how I think, how I know, how I see, Oakland also must trust what they get from the Red Sox. Why wouldn't they? Look at their roster. Look at their last couple years. The guys that they have that lead that team have been former Red Sox players, whether it's major league talent or prospects. So here's what you do if you've been Sherrington. You give Oakland a combination of major league talent and prospects. You say, here's Clay Buckholtz. Here's a young kid on our roster, whether it's, I don't know, Mookie Betts, uh, Blake Swihart, one of those two, and a couple other prospects that you have in your system. And you say, we'll take Sonny Gray, and you can leave him here when you're in town this weekend. I, I, I think the Red Sox should push for something like that. And how is that crazy? Because then you're looking at a rotation of Sonny Gray, Eddie Rodriguez, and you say, well, who's your three? Hey, uh, what, you know, what is... You know, Porcello, obviously, right now. Um, Wade Miley. But I guess, guess what? Your top two, all of a sudden, is that much better. And believe me, you'll start to put together some winning streaks. Uh, believe me. But also, you don't just have Sonny Gray for one year. He's 25. You're going to pay him. You know, you, you, you give him a big deal. And uh, he's here for the long haul. He's here for the long haul. So, I just would like to see the Red Sox do something like that uh, moving forward. And not just for their own, their own doing, their own well-being, but also because for everybody that said, hey, this AL East is, it's a shit division, it's a suck fest, you know, you're kind of right. But at the same time, the Yankees just got a whole lot better last night. They got a whole lot better last night. And if you didn't pay attention, here's how. They beat the Mariners, but they did it with the return of Tanaka. Tanaka returns from injury. Here's, here's his line from last night 
in a three in a win over the Mariners. Seven innings for Tanaka, one run allowed, zero walks, nine strikeouts, only threw 78 pitches. That's good, right? Not as good as this next thing I'm going to give you. Now, this is bad for the rest of the division, but good for the Yankees. Good for Tanaka. Here's the next uh, bit of information on Tanaka's start last night in his return that was so successful. He was throwing a career-high 96 miles per hour all the way into the seventh inning. 96 in the seventh inning. So, Tanaka is added to that rotation with Pineda, who's been pitching phenomenal. And the Yankees are in first place already. So, the first place team got better by adding, essentially, a dominant pitcher to their rotation last night. The Red Sox should be trying to do the same if they want to keep up. Not just for their home well-being, but you look around the division. If you want to keep up with other teams that are adding players, I know the Yankees didn't make the trade or didn't sign a guy, but, you know, they brought a guy off a DL, which feels like they traded for someone. Feels like it. We'll keep an eye on the Red Sox. I'll break down this game uh, today at 4.05. I'll talk about it tomorrow uh, on this show here five days a week, dannypicard.com. Um, what else do we got here? Uh, just to wrap things up. Oh, oh, the two stories that I had that, you know, you, you gotta, you have to listen to because, you know, these are great, there's great backstories here with both of these stories. It's one of them, you know, I'm reading, uh, from Deadspin has an advanced copy of the new Allen Iverson book. It's called Not a Game, The Incredible Rise and Unthinkable Fall of Allen Iverson. And with the advanced copy of the book, some of the information that comes out of this book is disturbing. Uh, Allen Iverson is a bad dude. He's not a good dude. He's not. And he is, uh, from the from the parts of, that I read from the people who have advanced copies of this book, uh... You know, he doesn't come off as a good dude in this book. But, you know, on a lighter note, a story that I was entertained by was Allen Iverson in this book. They say that he was drunk during his practice press conference. Remember that? You remember it, right? You remember the practice press conference? I mean, not a game. Not a game. Not a game. We talk about practice, man. We talk about practice, man. I mean, what are we talking about? Not a game. We talk about practice, man. We talk about practice. We talk about practice, man. I mean, so you know that, okay? And that's one of, you know, there's so many of those, pre- like De- uh, Denny Green, you know. We are who they, they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. So they are who we thought they were. You got practice. What else do you got? Uh, a couple off the top of your head. Jim Moore is always one that comes up. Um, when, you know, uh, uh, playoffs? Uh, playoffs? You want to you wanna talk about playoffs? That one's a good one. Um, locally, there are some good ones like Pedro, the Yankees are my daddy. 
And I just tip my cap and call the Yankees my daddy. And, of course, you get then you go to the Bronx and they're cheering, who's your daddy? Right. Um, but another humorous one locally, before I get to this Allen Iverson story, is I love Manny Ramirez in the playoffs against the Angels uh, in 07. And he, Manny hits a home run at Fenway, puts his hands up in the air, and it's just hilarious moment. And then in the press conference after, I think he must have been sick or something, he was asked about it and he says, when you don't feel good and you still get hits, that's when you know you are a bad man. <laughs> that, to me, is one of the all-time greats. Press conference answers. But press conference moments, maybe even controversial, humorous, entertaining on a national scale. The three I mentioned, Jim Mora, Denny Green, and then this Allen Iverson, those are the ones that we really think of right off the top of our heads. And the Allen Iverson practice press conference, it turns out in this book that he was drunk. AI was shit-faced during this. He was bombed during this press conference. But the funniest part of it all, which goes beyond this book, I went on and I sort of did research on it, and this is a story that I found from two years ago that I must have missed which I think is the best part of this whole thing, as to why, you know, the backstory, as to why Allen Iverson, whether he was drunk or sober or whatever, uh, the backstory is, here's why he went on this rant, not just because he was drunk, but because Gary Payton told him about how, pra- about how not practicing was the key to staying healthy. I mean, and Gary Payton, I read quotes from this. His side of the story is, they were out drinking. Gary Payton, the glove, Allen Iverson, um, you know, and they had a good old party. They had a night for themselves. And a conversation they had, which, by the way, I'd love to be at that table. Huh? Me, Gary Payton. I mean, I would pay so much money to be at that table with that in that moment during that conversation just to hear how this went down. And obviously, Allen Iverson kind of took this and, you know, spun it a little differently than I think Gary Payton meant it. Um, Because Gary Payton told him, like, here they are at the table, and I wish I was there for this. And Allen Iverson says, you know, hey, Gary, how how do you play, how do you still play at a high level when you get old? You know, and Gary Payton says, well, Allen, you know, the key to staying healthy is to not practice. However, the way Gary Payton explains it is he told Allen Iverson that he talked to his coach about this, right? So he was like, hey, you know, coach, let's come up with a situation. I'm getting older. Um, you know, maybe I take some days off. You know, it, it, it is sort of a key to staying healthy. And they agreed. It sounded like they agreed to that. Now, he was saying that at this point. I don't know if that's actually if that's actually how it, it went down. But Allen Iverson sounds like he took that and he just took it like, hey, I don't have to practice. He's right. Why the fuck should I practice? You know, they want me healthy? I'm Allen Iverson. And then he starts boozing. He does a press conference and he lets us know that we're only talking about practice, man. Um... 
So there you go. I would love to have been at that table with Gary Payton and Allen Iverson. Honestly, what a story that must have been. Uh, the final story I'm going to leave you with today on this Thursday, June 4th, 2015, the second time I'm doing this podcast today. First time you couldn't hear it because we had a technology issue and it didn't record. Uh, it's a Seinfeld story, and I read this from Boston Sports because it's one of the first websites I go to every day. And uh, they actually take it from the Howard Stern Show. You know I'm a big Seinfeld guy. I'm a big Seinfeld fan. And Jason Alexander was on Howard Stern this morning. And Jason Alexander, who in Seinfeld is known as George Costanza, uh, he was engaged to Susan, right? And you know how that ended. If you don't, let me refresh your memory. Susan is sending out wedding invitations, and she's licking the envelopes, and they were poisonous envelopes, and she died. And she died. Susan died licking poisonous envelopes for the wedding invitations that they were sending out. And the story that Jason Alexander told today on Howard Stern is beautiful because when you watch Seinfeld, and even really up until today when I heard the story, you know, you'd think that when Larry David comes up with this storyline of Susan, you know, dying because of the poisonous envelopes, you think that she's doing this because that's just the storyline they came up with when they first created Susan's character, right? Or, or when they first said that Susan would be getting um, married to George. That this was always sort of, it was so funny and random and, and sort of followed the Seinfeld code that this was pre-planned. Turns out, this was not pre-planned. It wasn't. Um, and I'm reading here, it says that the cast of Seinfeld, this is the story, again, George Costanza, Jason Alexander told today on Howard Stern, said the cast of Seinfeld, they hated working with Susan. They hated it. Um, and they said that, and this is quoting Jason Alexander, her acting was not unlike trying to mix, acting with her was not like trying to mix oil and water. That's, that's what he said. So they said it was, she was difficult to work with. They hated working with her. Um, so then Larry David tells Jason Alexander, George Costanza, that George Costanza would be getting engaged to Susan. After filming one particular scene or episode, Jerry Seinfeld and Julia Louise Dreyfus both had a lot of material that episode with Susan. However, at a cast lunch after they filmed that episode, Julia Louise Dreyfus said to everybody, don't you just want to kill her? <laughs> and guess what? That's what they did. They killed Susan. This sounded like everybody hated her. And they said, she's got to go. How do we get her out of here? And Larry David said, well, well, I guess send out the wedding invitations. I guess we'll have her lick poisonous envelopes and, and we'll move on. And she's done. So they kicked her off. So they had to kill her off that way. I didn't know that. It's an interesting story. And, um, you know, I was never a big Susan fan anyways. But it definitely worked out perfectly, didn't it? Worked out perfectly. But it turns out that always that wasn't always the original plan. 
believe it or not. <laughs> Who would have thought? So, there you go. Here's your Seinfeld story of the day. I'm here five days a week. DannyPicard.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn. Really, anywhere you can get a podcast, subscribe to the Danny Picard Show. Uh, again, also on the website, DannyPicard.com. Um, what do we got? I'll break down the NBA Finals Game 1 tomorrow. Uh, I'll take a look at this Red Sox game this afternoon.